If a small flock of cartoon bluebirds didn't help you get dressed this morning, that just means you haven't yet listened to Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor. No, the black dress slacks, please. Thank you. And now, Jim Hill. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and, and first of all, folks, though a fine-tuning mini-sode, is that how they say that? Mini-sode. Went live earlier this past week. Truth be told, Mr. Hill and I haven't recorded a new podcast since we did our Pixar in the Parks event with the Storybook Destination folks in Orlando back November 8th through the 12th. Yeah. That was over two weeks ago, and... To be frank, a ridiculous amount of animation news is broken over that relatively tiny window of time. I mean, for starters, we have to acknowledge that just this past week we lost Steven Hillenberger, the the creator of SpongeBob, and that still just breaks my heart. So many of us loved that show, and when the news broke last year or thereabouts that he was dealing with ALS, it was just kind of hoping he'd beat it. But then, out ahead of that, we lost Stan Lee back on, on November 12th. Yeah, that was, I think, when I was flying home or, or while we were on the way to the airport after our whirlwind week in Florida. Yeah, we got that very sad news. What's kind of cool, again, you went back to L.A. and One of the things you got to see when you were back in L.A. is the full finished version of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which... Yeah, well, I should say mostly finished mostly because a lot finished. of the uh, a lot of the yeah credits were unfinished ah, and things like that. Okay, but yeah, it was pretty finished. We'll say that. Yeah. Okay, but words broken that this film also in the tradition of Stanley popping up in Marvel movies. So I'm told this one is actually gets a really strong reaction from audiences. Is that true? Or oh yeah, it was it was pretty fresh when I saw it and people were you you just heard this oh when he was on the screen because. He's in it a lot longer than you would think, mm-hmm. and it's a fully animated version of Stanley with his voice, and it's really it's a really amazing little moment. I think people are gonna love it. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Now, the other thing I really want you to talk about here, Drew, when you said, you know, after you got out of the screening of this thing, that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is the best animated film of the year, that really kind of took me aback. Yeah, I agree. This has been an amazing year for animation. I mean, everything from Isle of Dogs mm. to Incredibles 2. But yeah, it, it is really something else. It is an, it's an animated movie unlike anything you've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Stylistically, storytelling-wise, this is a much more mature and much more experimental animated film than, than you are probably expecting from an animated Spider-Man movie. And I think people are going to like lose their minds for it at least i hope they are okay i saw that wonderful four minute scene that they tacked on to the end of venom and everyone's been dazzled by you know the trailers so far but i you know the thing i keep circling back on is it it has such a startling graphic look that seems to change constantly and that doesn't take you out of oh yeah that doesn't take you out of the movie at all or no, not at all. And I mean, even even within scenes where characters are talking to each other, Penny, who's a, it's almost an anime look to her, uh, Spider-Man Noir, who is voiced by Nick Cage and is one of the standouts of the movie, is a black and white character. Mm-hmm. Spider-Ham is a 2D, very squash and stretch animated character. And it all works. I mean, it all, everything is in service of 
this story of Miles Morales, who's trying to figure out how to be Spider-Man in a, in a world where Spider-Man has died at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie. And he is now having to assume that mantle and getting help, you know, from these other spider folk. And it's just a really wonderful, poignant story. And I think it is that heart that takes you through the movie that allows you to not get caught up in the stylistic differences or the embellishments or anything like that and makes this movie so special. Wow. All right. I'm definitely going to check this thing out. The buzz is great. But here's the studio doubling down. I mean, on November 27th, they revealed that not only is there a sequel to Into the Spider-Verse already in development, continuing the Miles Morales story that you talked about, but there's also a Spider-Woman movie? Yeah. Another animated project that's built around three generations of web-slingers? I mean, you got to to sit down with the directors of of Spider-Verse this past week. Did they talk about those projects at all? I, you know, I did. I sat down earlier today, actually, oh. uh, with uh, Bob Perichetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman. Mm-hmm. And I said, what are you doing? Like, are you going to be involved in a sort of supervisory capacity? And they didn't really have an answer for me. They were like, you know, we literally finished this thing two days ago. <laughs> and we are going to, you know, have a long breath. But it would surprise me very much if they weren't involved in some way, just because... I'm sure that this, I mean, I know that this movie was a huge pain in the ass to to finish and to get made, and I'm sure they would like to share their wisdom with whoever is going to take on the next movie. Because, you know, this is the the largest production for Sony Imageworks ever. I think there were over 100 people working on it. When they were trying to sell the studio on the look, how long again did it take to put together that well they say they they it took a year and a half to put together a 30 minute or a 30 second i should say sizzle a proof of concept and then they said and then we got the green light and it took another year and a half to make the other 116 minutes oh oh my god so that tells you because you know the thing that people aren't talking about too is that there was some kind of contractual Mm -hmm. licensing agreement where they had to make this movie by the end of 2018 or they would lose the rights to make be able to make an animated Spider-Man movie. Oh, so that is why this thing is coming in at the 11th hour. I wish I'd known you were going to go talk with the directors today because I have been meaning for years to tell Peter Ramsey how much I love Rise of the Guardians. It's a great movie. It is, it is. But it, it just, I, I don't get it. Why did the audience not show up for that? Well, tell your Freddie Moore story. Well, no, I, I compared the Spider-Ham animation to a Freddie Moore animation, and two of the directors did not even get the reference, mm. but thankfully Bob did. He worked with Andreas Deja on Fantasia 2000 mm-hmm. and was his apprentice, and so he said that Andreas would draw the Freddie Moore version of Mickey Mouse for him sort of at odd times, which is which is really funny and great and perfect for this, the 90th anniversary of Mickey Mouse that we've been bombarded with all year. Yeah, I have to admit, if you and I managed to be around in 10 years, I shudder to think, I mean, if this is what they did <laughs> for the 90th, I don't even want to think about how they're going to hammer on us in 10 years' time. But speaking of characters that hammer on things, Ralph Breaks the Internet managed to come out while we were away, and it's doing reasonably well. I mean, its domestic box office is at $93.5 million, which means sometime in the the next day or so, it'll blow through that significant box hold threshold of uh, $100 million domestic. And it's literally tracking on the exact same 
trajectory as the original Wreck-It Ralph back in 2012. I think that took 11 days to make it $100 million. The only problem is back then, movie tickets prices were on average $7.96, and these days they're $9.14, so I'm trying not to read too much into that. I liked Breaks the Internet. I didn't love it. Right. I think in your review, I loved your take on it, that it was like a Disney package feature from the 1940s that if you know if there's something was happening on screen they didn't like or you know, weren't really enthusiastic about don't worry there's another thing coming along in five minutes that's just as good and just as fun and i think ultimately it ended well and i enjoyed the arc with vanellope and ralph in fact i one of my favorite pieces out of the whole movie is the two of them waving to each other as she's going up in the slaughter race and I mean, that's, that's all wordless, and then, you know, she's just gone. I don't think there's a parent who hasn't sent a kid off to school or camp or that sort of thing who doesn't know that feeling, who doesn't know that moment. So there was some, some great stuff. I'm almost hesitant to put this out there, but I had the same sort of feelings about Incredibles 2 that I liked it, I didn't love it, I, I felt that, you know, it was more a, a collection of interesting parts, not a whole movie, and I wonder how much of that is because these films were being finaled during John Lasseter's sabbatical. In, in fact, November 21st, 2017 is when the story broke, that John was going to step away, and yeah, but I think that both filmmaker, I mean, all the filmmakers involved, there were two filmmakers on Record Ralph, mm-hmm. will still say that he probably contributed some ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard Bird talk about how he still mm-hmm. managed to contribute some some pretty key mm-hmm. things, but you're right. I mean, he, he wasn't as hands-on, maybe that's the wrong choice of word, <laughs> than he was on, on other films. Just this past week, we found out that Pixar's getting their second feature. Well, if you count Brenda Chapman, we're working on Brave. They're getting the second feature from a woman director, and that's that's Domi Shi, the woman behind Bao. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I I had known about this for a little while, but it was sworn to secrecy, Mm -hmm. Jim. Sworn to secrecy, but... Yeah, it's it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. We both love Bao. I think we can agree on that, mm-hmm. right? It's always interesting to be in an audience when the mom eats the dumpling. Men have a different reaction than women do to that moment in that movie. <laughs> By the way, speaking of the shorts, the third in the series of Pixar short film collections just came out on Blu-ray and DVD. And for the first time, the first two collections are available on digital. Oh! So you can get them on iTunes, Vudu, and all of those places. So. Mm-hmm. This is not a paid ad. We just really like these shorts. No, we do. We do. In fact, it's always such great fun to look at the lineup here when you look at something like Piper, which I I think is just wonderful and solid or, or, you know, for that matter, Blue Umbrella. And then, you know, they're just kind of the missing shorts. You know, the things like Partysaurus Rex, which that was always the bloopiest of the... I love that yeah. one. I love when he says, Hello, fishes! <laughs> uh, that's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and for the first time, Party Central. Yeah, yeah. Which was, was on the second Muppets movie, right? Yeah. Muppets Most Wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And the Muppets are in this weird place at Disney now because obviously behind Marvel and behind Pixar and behind Star Wars, it's kind of tough to get traction, but... They've got a hit in Muppet Babies, or the revival of the Muppet Babies series. So there's now this retail program to support it, and 
One of the things we found on the store shelves today was a vibrating baby Fozzie doll, which... Is that like Tickle Me Elmo? Oh, yeah. But but in a a far more disturbing way. (laughs) So, I I don't know. I I see a lot of parents buying that for this holiday and then perhaps returning it, you know, after Christmas. And speaking of returns, when we return from our commercial break here, Drew and I will talk about Mary Poppins Returns. And we're back. I'm sorry, I'm kind of a little incoherent when it comes to Mary Poppins Returns. I just got to see it last night in Boston. You saw it earlier this week out in L.A., right? Yeah, I saw it on Monday in Los Angeles, correct. And the buzz for this movie, much like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, has been over the top. A lot of people have seen it and said, oh my God, this is amazing. And so you must have gone in like I did with concerns you know kind of elevated expectations about it it can't really be that good yeah i mean and and i think that you and i both sort of begrudgingly agree that the original movie is not like a flawless masterpiece no there are some very charming things about it mm -hmm. but it also is incredibly slow there are some sort of tonally off moments but you know we i think we respect it we appreciate where it is in the disney canon but I don't think either of us is a slavish devotee to the original Mary Poppins. Leonard Moulton, in his essential reference book, the Disney films, talks about the flaws of Mary Poppins. And, and really, the, the, the flaw of the original film is it's too long. Yeah, two hours and 19 minutes. Yeah, and then, but then the question is, where do you make the cut? If you're going to tighten this movie... You know, and he's like, yeah, you could take out, you know, the whole Uncle Albert scene, but then you'd lose the Uncle Albert scene. And, you know, just it's right. it's trying to figure out what you would toss out. And Did we need all that Dick Van Dyke narrating while drawing with chalk <laughs> stuff? I mean, oi, I see you there. You want to hear more of the story? Alice and I were just talking about this in the car today, that, you know, if you remember the, the first movie, in fact, one of the things I respect about Mary Poppins' returns is that how every so often it will, in fact, mirror the structure of the original film, but put a fun new bend on it. Yeah. You think about how they establish the world for Mary Poppins' return. You have Limnetwell on his bike, you know, as a, a lamplighter rolling through the city of London. And you look at Mary Poppins' day, and it's so obviously a studio-bound, shot-in-a-soundstage movie. And... It was really kind of a ballsy choice to do some of that with Mary Poppins Return, but also do a lot of on-location work in London. And you know what? uh, I talked to Rob Marshall earlier this week as well, and he told me, you know, that the opening title sequences Mm -hmm. is a mixture of Peter Ellenshaw's original um, matte painting, Mm -hmm. like, concept art, and then art that they had created in the style. And this is stuff that he said that they found in the archives, and it was just too good to sort of give up but it's interesting because the original film actually had the the matte paintings mm-hmm. that was the entire t- entire title sequence and this is just concept art i thought i don't know i thought it was a really interesting juxtaposition and i love that they went back to that source who we could do a whole ep- episode on peter ellenshaw and his paintings and how he came back for dick tracy and and all that but 
I thought that was a really lovely kind of connection right off the bat to the original film. And speaking of going back to the source, we have to talk about the animated portion of the of this show. And and you and I both sat there and, and watched the credits to see who did this amazing work. And it, yeah. it was such great fun to see names we've loved for the past. Tony Bancroft, uh, James Baxter. And I got to find out why they thanked Glenn Keane. Yeah. He's in the special thanks section, and it's like, what's that about? But anyway, let's talk about <laughs> the, the animated scenes. I mean... Yeah. What do you understand about the breakdown between what the Disney folks did? And uh, uh, let's be clear here. When we say the Disney folks, the animation for this was actually done by Duncan Studios. Is that correct? Yeah. They're, which I should just go I should just go to the studios. I mean, they're in Pasadena, which is probably a 15-minute drive from my house, okay. and I should right. just knock on the door. All right, we'll pause here now, and, and Drew will go break into the studio. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yes, please hold. There we go. Um, okay. Uh, what I related to you and what, what has since come out publicly is that Walt Disney Animation and Pixar worked on the sequence. Now, I think that you and I both thought that this information meant that they actually worked on the animation mm-hmm. for the sequence. But when I talked to Rob Marshall earlier today, or earlier this week, he went into this long thing about how they actually just consulted on it. Mm-hmm. And I still don't know who exactly was in that room. I mean, probably Glenn Keane, judging by the thank you mm-hmm. um, in the credits. But I don't have any names for who was there. But the animation was mostly done by Duncan. And I thought it was absolutely beautiful oh, animation. No, it, What I love about it, I mean, the conceit of the animated seen in this thing is basically instead of going into a a chalk painting as they did in the first film they go into a royal dalton bowl and so at least for the earlier part of the sequence there's a lovely sort of reference effect of this whole world is ceramic but it's it's also it's a paint you know a painting on the bowl as they travel on in, a, in this wonderful coach that's driven by a, a character who's half Irish and half poodle, they encounter all of these wonderful stylized animals that are... What, what I loved about them is they really did have that 1960s Disney animation vibe. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It, it looked very zeography. Z- mm-hmm. Zerography, yeah. Yeah. And, and did, you know, did you notice who was the voice of the coach driver? was Chris O'Dowd, who was famously the voice of Tigger until he was replaced by Jim Cummings for the Christopher Robin movie earlier this year. I did not know that. Holy cow. Yes, so he still got to voice a Disney animated character just a a few months later. We'll tell you what, folks. We don't necessarily want to give too much away here because, again, this film doesn't open up till December 19th. I mean... This actually lives up to the hype. I mean, it's not a perfect film. No. But at the same time, you are so thoroughly entertained that when the BMX bicycle sequence shows up, it's like, yeah, sure. Okay, I'm on board. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That kind of tells you how entertaining this movie is. That, you know, something like that will pop up and it's like, don't care. Having a good time. Carry on. Though, just to circle back, we were talking a moment ago about Glenn Keane. While we were away, again, our two weeks of not doing shows here, Glenn's feature, uh, Over the Moon, uh, Sony Pictures Imageworks, is now on board to animate that. And that's going to Netflix. And Netflix just gets more and more interesting on the animation side every day. I mean, you know, we talked just on the last show uh, prior to the event about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, but 
knowing that that's in the pipeline and and that's got an animation's all-stars lined up to work on it yeah what did you think this past week when the news broke about how disney's got a live action pinocchio in the works and then not only that this is a live action pinocchio where supposedly tom hanks is gonna play geppetto yeah i mean what's interesting about that too is that paul king who directed paddington and paddington 2 mm-hmm. is supposed to do that mm-hmm. and and he was tapped for a long time to do a willy wonka prequel movie for warner brothers oh, and in, in the same week mm-hmm. they announced for netflix there's going to be series and specials and movies oh, God. animated that are going to be based on Roll Doll projects, You're including right. BFG and Ch- and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So it was just a very interesting kind of confluence of news. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that Disney definitely has the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio in its sights. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to Sean Bailey last year for that big feature I wrote for New York Magazine's mm-hmm. Vulture blog about the whole slate of, of live action and uh you know disney projects mm-hmm. that when they were doing jungle book they knew about mowgli mm-hmm. which is coming to netflix next week and i'm sure we'll discuss in next week's mm-hmm. show true he says you know there's there's levers that only disney can pull mm-hmm. and when we saw that there was another computer generated jungle book coming out we pulled those levers there weren't songs in it before and we pulled the lever and we got the songs in the movie and i think it added a lot to the john favreau jungle book and so for me the announcement that Tom Hanks is potentially going to play Pino- uh, Geppetto in the Pinocchio movie is just another one of those Disney levers. They have worked with him a bunch before. He's played Walt Disney. He's in Toy Story and mm-hmm. Toy Story 4. He was going to be in Jungle Book mm-hmm. or Jungle Cruise. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's them pulling their their Disney lever. And it's the thing that'll set the, I'm sure, very brilliant Guillermo del Toro version apart, mm-hmm. you know, in the marketplace. This is just an announcement in the trades. It was two years ago that we heard that Disney was going to do a live-action Snow White. You were pointing out, again, we were talking off-air, that they were going to pull a Disney lever, they were going to use this, the music, you know, the, some of the songs from the original December 1937 release, but they were also going to be uh, some new songs, right? Uh, written by... Uh, ugh, I'm blanking them. Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. There we go. So they're supposedly working on new songs for Snow White. We're still waiting to see where Snow White is in the production food chain. But Benj and Justin did actually work on a new thing for Disney, didn't they? Or? Yeah, they contributed at least one new song to the Aladdin live-action remake, which is happening next summer. Mm-hmm. Again, we're getting Dumbo, Aladdin, and The Lion King about six weeks apart from each other, <sighs> which is crazy. Mm-hmm. But judging by The Lion King trailer last week, people are very ready for <laughs> The Lion King. I think it's like one of the most the most viewed trailers in the history of YouTube already, if not the most viewed trailer. At the D23 Expo last, that was July, right? July of 2017? Yeah. We saw that trailer. Well, we saw the whole sequ- We saw the whole Circle of Life right. sequence. I saw or, or heard that day in the hall, a lot of people like, wow, that's basically shot per shot per shot. A lot of people talk about that. You know, the whole notion of this looks a lot like the animated film. Well, and let's be honest, this new movie is animated. Mm-hmm. We can't... No, this, this, this is true. conceit of live action is a bunch of bunk. I agree. And it's strange because if you think about Dinosaur, <laughs> the secret... Let's not think about Dinosaur. <laughs> Look, Dinosaur made a very big deal about going out into the world 
and shooting live-action background plates. And I've been trying to get people who are working on Lion King to talk to me about nobody can quite get their arms around what to call these things yet. Right. You know, whether it's live action, is it a, a CG remake of a Disney classic? When you talk with the filmmakers, they're very insistent about the new stuff that's being added, the way they're broadening the story. I mean, and, you know, we already know, for example, about the new song for Nala that, that Beyonce is doing. and Right. There will be a brand for it, I'm sure. At some point, huh? they will brand these movies something, mm-hmm. okay. whether it's modern classic or this or that. But you know what I was very excited about? Did you see, you saw the Dumbo trailer. I think that broke while we were in Florida too. It did, the Dumbo it did. I really want to see this movie, but I've been cautioned by friends that basically the original Dumbo is only 64 minutes long. And so, yeah. so supposedly that's the thing people going into, you know, this, this Tim Burton version, it's like, that's act one. Yes, that's act one. I was on the set, mm-hmm. which I can't talk about yet, okay. I don't think, but... Yeah, they said to us, the first movie is the first act. He's flying by the end, by the, you know, 60-minute mark. That's all been established. You know, it's all over. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more story. There's a lot more stuff with the Michael Keaton character, Mm -hmm. who's kind of like an evil Walt Disney Mm -hmm. character. It's really interesting. I think it's going to be really cool. I thought that trailer was terrific. No, I, 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 but but if you want to talk about... Terrific trailers, the Toy Story 4 trailers that broke. I would pay cash money to be in the promotion department at Disney to who came up with the idea of doing, you know, first you put the teaser trailer for Toy Story, and then you create a trailer where characters are reacting to the trailer. Brilliant. Key and Peele. They're great. They are. They are. But it was just one of these things where it's like you were literally like at the 92nd portion of the trailer before Woody and Buzz walk in. Right. And it's just sort of like you got to mix it up a little bit, but this is kind of bonkers. Right. I think those two, the, the design of those two new characters, Ducky and Bunny, mm-hmm. I think they've already made back the production costs on Toy Story 4 just in the amount of plush that those two are going to sell. But I found out some information too that, you know, the other big piece of Toy Story 4 information is that Tim Allen leaked that Keanu Reeves is one of the the toys. Yeah. Well, we, we can't talk about it yet, but we... Dance first, Taylor, dance. I, <laughs> I know, I know. How do you we, whenever... tease this and not reveal what you know? <laughs> no, I know. It's, it's whenever I can talk about it, we will talk about it. But I think he's a very cool character. I think the movie is going to be very cool. The look is, is, seems very different. I mean... It's going to be a wild movie, I think. I, I think that they look like they're... This might be the fourth one, but they're taking chances. Forky seems to be the weirdest character ever. Yeah. But you know, you know, as we speak, there is a container ship coming across the Pacific full of Forkies. Oh, yes. The best part, you can make your own <laughs> very easily. <laughs> there you go. On the next edition of Fine Tuning, which won't be two weeks from now, right, Drew? It'll be like... No, it'll be next week. It'll be in like days. days. Mere days. There we go. Mere yeah. days from now. We'll have some more information for you. But if people can't wait for the new show, Drew, they can go to your other podcast, right? Oh, yeah. You actually listened to my other podcast, I did. Right? I was did. Funny? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so that's called Light the Fuse, mm-hmm. and it's available everywhere fine podcasts are downloaded so please take a look at that and um yeah we're very excited to be back on our schedule and jim and i will be back very soon for with even more stuff even more stuff until then folks take care okay 
be sure to tune in again for another fine episode of Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor.